We're in Games of Life. That is the series that we are in right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, Games of Life. So I hope you chose wisely the person you're sitting next to because you're going to say a few things to them this service, and uh, I hope you got a tic-tac. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, we're, playing, we're, we're, we're talking about Games of Life, and today we're talking about a particular game. And if this is your first time, we're talking about how certain games that we played in our childhood and how the rules of those games match up to things that we go through in life. And so the first week, uh, we talked about hopscotch, and we talked about marriages and relationships. The second week, we talked about dodgeball uh, and Red Rover, and we talked about accountability, how you got to have somebody in your life that knows enough about you to destroy you if they wanted to, but loves you enough that they won't. Um, and then this week, we are going to talk about a game that we have all played. If you have kids, you have played this game. If you have nieces and nephews, you have played this game. If you are around kids that aren't yours and they get on your nerves, you have played this game, all right? It is the quiet game. Turn to your neighbor and say the quiet game. Quiet. Now look back at him and do this. Hmm. All right. But don't be quiet while I'm preaching. We can, I, I like to hear y'all today, all right? So I, look, I, I love this service because I feel like this is the service. Man, we didn't really get saved out of Sunday school. Some of us got saved out of sin. Come on, somebody. Like we, we don't got to think back too far to remember what Jesus did in our life. So it ain't, we ain't, this, this ain't patty cake worship. You guys go in on a Sunday morning. This is the, cla- this is the crowd right here. So, hey, yeah, put your hands together for yourself. I, I was telling Adam, man, give it up for our worship team, by the way, man. They just... I love you guys so much. I was telling Adam in the hallway before I came out here, I said, the problem is with this service is it could be the worst message you've ever preached in your life, and they're going to make you feel like it's good. So you got to know when to stop. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone else is like, no, this is terrible. But there's, anyways, let's keep going. The quiet game. Turn to your neighbor and say the quiet game. Let's get started, folks. Matthew 12, 34 says this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what that means is, have you, how many of you guys ever heard someone has told you before, like they said something, but they come back and said, that's not the real me. Anybody ever had that? that, was, that wasn't, that's not really me. No, that is you. Because out of the abundance of this, this speaks. So you can't hide this because eventually it's going to come out of here. So you can, you, can, you can do your best to dress it up all you want to, but at the end of the day, this heart is going to come out of this mouth. And so people that say, oh, I know I said that, but that's not really. How many guys have ever said something and you couldn't grab it fast enough before it came out of your mouth? You were trying to pull it back in, right? Like, Ooh, I wish I hadn't said that. All you married folks are like, that's me right there. Like, right, you wish you could get those words back. So let's talk about a few areas that we should play the quiet game. These are three areas that I think we should play the quiet game, right? So number one is when I'm worried. When I'm worried. How many of us got a bad habit of rattling off at the mouth? whenever we get worried about something we can't control. And I get worried, right? and what, what are we worried about? We're worried about, man, is God gonna come through with the thing that he promised? Is my life gonna go the way that I want it to? I get worried, and what happens is when I get worried, anxiety sets in, and when my heart becomes full of anxiety, I start to talk things, and here's what'll happen, folks, is you will talk yourself out of the very thing that God wants to do in your life. I said, you will talk yourself out of the very thing that God wants to do in your life. So what he says, he, he said he made a promise to you in his word. He says, I'm, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But what happens is we get worried that when we're in the midst of our battle and what we're going through in life, we don't see God in it. Because we don't see God in it, obviously he left. And since he left, he doesn't fulfill his promises. And since he doesn't fulfill his promises, he won't fulfill the promise that we need him to keep in our life. And since he doesn't keep that promise, I become worried and full of anxiety that he'll never do the things that he promised me to do. Therefore, 
where my life is in a constant spin out of control and I can't get it back. And what happens is we start to speak out of our mouth. We start to speak with our words and we start to speak against the very thing God spoke into our life. The second thing, second time we need to play the quiet game is when I'm tired. When I'm tired. Man, I played basketball. I love playing basketball. It's me and some of the guys. We had, we had a basketball small group for a long time. And when we were playing basketball, any of you guys that have ever played pickup games and played in the gym, there comes a moment in the day, right? So you play three games, four games, five games. There comes a moment where everyone is completely exhausted and everyone knows they should go home. And what do we do? We play one more game. And we say before the game, man, somebody's going to get hurt. Right? Like this is like everyone's tired. No one's really running. Some of us are barely walking. Like, but we're going to play one more game. And what happens when we play that one more game? Somebody gets hurt. And this is what I believe happens in life is when we get tired, we get exhausted. And when we get exhausted, we become offended easily. We get, we get hurt easily. And here's the deal. Hurt people hurt people. And so when we get tired, we start to speak things out of our mouth. And because we're tired, we're hurt. And since we're hurt, we end up hurting other people around us. Because hurt people hurt people. The, the third one is, is when I, I'm offended. Oh, I don't know what that is. When I'm offended. <laughs> How many guys have ever had your feelings hurt? Where y'all at? If you're on social media, you've had your feelings hurt, okay? On Facebook. What happens? We get on Facebook and we find someone that thinks differently than we do, and we automatically become offended by their point of view. Now, we, half of these people we ain't never talked to a day in our life, but we are offended by what they think, you know? Like, I, I'm, a, I, I'm, a, I'm a firearms guy. I like to collect firearms, but I know all of you don't believe in that. Guess what? That's okay. You can be wrong. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what I mean. I'm t- I, was, I was totally joking. What I'm getting at is we don't have to be offended because we have a difference of opinion, right? And so I believe the place that we need to watch, we need to guard our words very carefully, especially is on social media. I love what Matt Chandler says. He said, social, the internet has made heroes out of weak people. Because they feel like they can type anything and get away with it. You remember back in the day, if you'd have said that to somebody's face, what would have happened? But now you're behind a keyboard and everyone's strong. Y'all know? Okay. Anyways. Y'all a kid don't. Anyways. So when we're offended. So, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your phone out right now. You got a smartphone. Take it out. I want you to take it out. Hurry. Grab it. Grab it right now. Grab it right now. Take it out. I want you to put it in selfie mode. Go on and do it. Go on and put it in selfie I know. Put in selfie mode. I want you to take a picture of yourself just like this. And from now on, every time you're on social media and you get offended at somebody, don't say anything. Just post that picture. <laughs> Be like, you know what? You know. Nope. Delete. I'm going to just post this picture of me doing this right here. I don't have anything to say. It's not worth it. Right? I love this quote. And this, is, this quote has been used in a number of different arenas, but they use it in social media here. I thought it was pretty funny. Arguing with people on social media is like playing chess with a pigeon. All they're going to do is knock over the pieces, crap on the board, and strut around like they won anyways. So why bother? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Turn to your neighbor and say, it ain't worth it. It's like that lady on Facebook. I ain't doing it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, 
Some of y'all give up your peace way too easily in life to people on social media that you ain't talked to since third grade. They friend requested you, got a different viewpoint than you, and you get all huffed up. Because this is what happened. We get all huffed up, puffed up, and we get angry because someone on social media made us upset. We ain't talked to in 13 years, and we take it out on the people that we work around, that we live around, that was in our community. They got to pay the price for our frustration with the person we don't ever actually talk to. It's not worth it. Right? Turn to your neighbor and say, be quiet. That's pretty. Okay. I saw some of them spouses. Like, huh? Let's talk about it. Keys or key steps to peace in your life. We want to give you four of them, okay? Key steps to peace in your life. Number one, you need to understand that words are blocks. Words are blocks. And with our words, we have the ability to either build a platform for other people to stand on or build a trap for other people to fall on. And with our words, we have the ability to build people up or tear people down. With our words, we have the ability to to take someone who needs encouragement and we can either encourage them or discourage them strictly with our words. Words are blocks. What kind of blocks? These two right here, they're either stumbling blocks or building blocks. Every word you say, every phrase that you use, every time you talk to someone, you have the ability to encourage them to be who God has called them to be or discourage them into thinking that they're less than everything that God has already said that they are. And so with your words, you can either build them up or you can tear them down. How many guys got friends? They're just constantly negative, tearing everybody down. Everything is bad. Listen, you don't even want to claim them as your friend, right? They send you a friend request. You're like, man. I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to unfollow you right away. Right? I don't want to see none of your posts. I'm just mad all the time. That unfollow button is hot. So words are blocks, folks. Proverbs 10, 19 says this. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Now, I also looked this up in the Message Bible. I thought it was, it it kind of spoke to what we're talking about a little better. It says this. It says, the more talk, the less truth. The wise measure their words. In other words, like, man, we got to be careful with our mouth. If you know people that are constantly running their mouth, people who are constantly talking are only one step away from failing. People who are constantly talking, constantly have sin in their life, they're trying to cover up with their words. They don't want you to see the real them, they just want you to hear them. And man, we need to be careful with our words because where words are there, that means sin is not too far away. And so we have to be careful how much we talk. I I tell people all the time, I got buddies that, man, they're just like, it never stops. It's like a motor. I'm like, I'm like, listen, bro, I need you to, I want you to receive this with grace, truth, and love, okay? Shut up. (laughs) Like, calm down. Why? Because if you keep talking, no one trusts you. Okay? How many of y'all got friends you know you're not telling your secrets to? (laughs) I ain't telling them nothing. Because they told me about so-and-so's problem. So I ain't tell. They're going to tell so-and-so about my. Anyway, so, right? We need to measure our words. Use wisdom, man, on how we talk. Tabidi put this quote out. I thought it was awesome. He says this. What experts we are at excusing sin with misleading, self-deceptive words like vent, share, open up, express, and be heard. These are words masking words compounding sin and 
destruction. How many of y'all have had someone come to you and say, listen, I just need to vent for a second. And then they rattle off for gossip for the next 20 minutes. Like, listen, I didn't need to hear all this. I thought you said you needed to vent. You didn't want to vent. You just want to tell me someone else's problems. Come on, somebody. I just need to, sh- I need to share something with you. And then they start sharing with you Susie's problem. I don't need to know Susie's problems. The problem is we are all hungry people for information, and we don't know how to shut that stuff down. Next time someone comes to you with all this nonsense that ain't none of your business, just whip out your phone and show them that picture. I don't want to hear it. Right? The problem is we're not very good at that part. Right? Because all of us love juicy gossip. Anyways, moving on. So we need to be careful because what we do is we hide behind words like vent, share, open up, express, and be heard. And what all it really is is sin at its core. Come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, be quiet. Mm. Let's keep going. Here's one thing I want you to remember. The original sin, the sin that started it all, right? The sin that started it all for all of us started with words. Adam and Eve in the garden, it started with words. And words continue to to be the battle that we fight today. Number two, words are blocked. Number two, meekness is not weakness. We have to understand the difference between meekness and weakness. Turn to your neighbor and say meekness while you're writing. Meekness. What is the difference between meekness and weakness? We know what weakness is, right, when we're weak, when, when we can, we're not strong enough. We can't do these things. And what happens is when we get on social media, when we get on Instagram, or when we're in a conversation at a lunch table, because I know some of you aren't on Facebook or Instagram or any of those things. When you're at a conversation at a lunch table, when you're at work and someone comes to you, they attack you, or they say something that is different than your personal opinion, or they have a difference of a viewpoint of something, or their perspective is different than the way you view something, what happens is you believe that if you don't speak to them and you don't correct them, then you're weak. What you really are is if you hold a position that is different than theirs, but you're going to be strategic about the timing in which you have that conversation, especially if you know you're right, holding your tongue, being quiet is not weakness. It is power under control. That is meekness. Just because you got something to say don't mean you got to say it. I remember pastor used to tell me all the time, if you talk all the time, then your words don't have value when you speak. I said, my God. So we have to learn when to release, the, when to let go of the power of silence. Check out this quote right here. It says this. Your silence passes many messages. One is that you are somebody, not nobody. We tend to think if we don't have something to say at the table, then we're not valued. No, 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 no. If you can hold your peace at the table while everyone else is talking, that means when you do talk, it will have value. We got to learn the difference between lots of words and lots of power. So there's the difference between meekness and weakness. And here's the reason that I bring this up. Here's the reason why this is important that we grab a hold of this truth. This is the reason why it's so important that we put this out there is because it's not about the quiet game, the quiet life, having understanding meekness and weakness, understanding that your words are blocked. It is not about being silent. It's about being still. It's not about holding your tongue. It's about resting your spirit. 
And how many of us have got ourselves in a position where we're constantly talking, we're constantly in an environment where other people are talking, there's things going on around us, everything is constantly crazy, and we can't seem to get life under control. The problem isn't that we're talking, the problem is that we're not still. See, we tend to think that words going back and forth is a transmission of information. What words going back and forth constantly does is it stops us from resting. And when we can't rest, then we can't hear God. Psalms 46.10 says this. It says, be still. Say those two words with me. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know what that means? It means you have to rest in who God is. So what God is saying here is rest for a second. Be still. Stop worrying. Stop getting offended. Stop being tired. Be still. Rest and know that I am God and I will be exalted. Why is that part important? Why is God being exalted important? The reason it's important for God to be exalted is if our faith is in God, if our trust is in God, that means God won't lose. God has never lost and he never will lose. And if God won't lose and he never loses, then he never loses on our behalf. So we can rest in the fact that God is always victorious. Does it turn out the way we always want it? No. Does it always turn out the way that God needs it? Absolutely. Which means his name will be lifted high in all the nations and in all the earth because he's already victorious in your situation. He's already won. He never starts anything on earth. He hasn't already finished in heaven. Therefore, God has already won your situation. You just got to be still. You got to rest a little bit. I love this in the Message Bible. It says this, different translations. It says, step out of the traffic. Man, how many of y'all's life right now feels like a two, like four lanes both ways, just going? Your kids are going crazy. You're kicking the dog. Your husband won't act right. Can't even do the dishes. Come on, son. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't look at him. Don't look at him. Don't look at him. Life is busy. Come on, like y'all know what I'm talking about? Life is busy. When the Bible said that we need to be careful in the end times because the days are evil, it doesn't mean the days are literally evil. It means that the days become so busy that the devil preoccupies us with busyness and we lose track of purpose. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God. In other words, stop worrying about the stuff. I can handle the stuff. I need you to look at me. Colossians says, fix your eyes on things that are above, not on things that are below. Above, this, I promise, I didn't manipulate this. This is how it came out the book, folks. Above politics, above everything. Man, we need to be fixed on God. Does that mean we don't need to have a voice? That's not what I'm talking about. Does it mean we not need to make sure that we try to do everything we can? We ensure that our environments are protected. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we need to put God in his right place. And when we have him in his right place, his victory is already promised. Our rest is in the fact that he's already won the battle you're trying to fight. We need to learn to rest in the battles, not fight in the battle, because our rest allows God. He said his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That means that his strength doesn't show up until our weakness resides. So as long as you're trying to fight the battle with your strength, God never gets to step in with his strength. It isn't until you become weak that he becomes strong on your behalf. And when he becomes strong on your behalf, you get to win already. You don't even have to fight. You don't even have to pick up the sword. You don't have to pick up the shield. God steps in and says, I got this. You get to be Still. So the quiet game isn't about a quiet mouth. It's about a quiet soul. 
It's about a quiet spirit. See, what some of us need to learn to do is we need to calm the words and the constant merry-go-rounds of negativity that goes on in our minds that we don't tell anyone else about. See, we need to put ourselves in a position where that, that identity crisis and that insecurity and that lack of affirmation and that, those things that we were wounded at 10, 15, 30 years ago, all those problems that are going on in our life, all those things that we can't control and we can't fix, and we feel like the whole world thinks negatively of us. We think that we can't fulfill our purpose because God can't do what he said he was going to do, even though he already said he was going to do it. We feel like we can't walk those out. The problem is, is we never quiet our soul long enough. We may quiet our words, but it's not about a quiet mouth. It's about a quiet soul. We need to rest a little bit. We need to allow some quietness to set in, not only in our mind, but in our spirit, so that when the lies of the enemy show up, it doesn't become part of all the other noise. We can call it out for what it is because God has already affirmed you. He's already chosen you. He's already decided on your purpose. He's already decided on your, pur- your future. And where you came from doesn't change that. What your mom did doesn't change that. The fact that you grew up poor doesn't change that. The fact that you made some mistakes doesn't change that. God's purpose is already decided. We got to get the lies out of our heads so that we can start following through with what God has already decided for us. It's about quieting the soul. My wife is an introvert. She likes to sit in a quiet home. I'm not that way. I got things to do. We got places to go. I need to meet some people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like she, she likes to sit quietly. I like to, I'm a mover and a shaker. Where are my movers and shakers at? Y'all like to just be places. You know what I'm saying? There's a party going on. We need to be over there. Like we need. So constantly that way. So she, she knows and understands what it's like to be still. Someone like me, I got to work to be still. And listen, I think about my mom. So there's, a, there's the Livingston legacy, we call it. The Livingston legacy is about warriors. How many of you guys know people that are just like inherent worriers? So you just, they just worry all the time, right? We, we joke. We, so the Livingston legacy is full of worriers. So thank God I, I, got, I got my mom's side of this, which is we don't worry about anything. Right? We used to joke that if a tree fell through the roof of our house, my mom would just be like, man, somebody should really fix that hole. <laughs> you know? But she doesn't worry she, she, just, she it just, hey, man, it is what it is. We'll figure it out along the way. Now, the Livingston legacy, <laughs> right, they're full of worriers. Matter of fact, they worry so much that if there's nothing to worry about, they worry because there should be something to worry about. Therefore, <laughs> we're going to worry about the lack of worry because if we ain't worrying, we're worried that we should be worrying. <laughs> now, that's exhausting. Thank God that we get to step out of the traffic of worry, folks. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? We, that you can step out of the traffic of worry. You can step out of, step out of the traffic of exhaustion. You can step out, of the, step out of the traffic of offense. And you can step into peace where God resides. And where God resides, we get to be encouraged and uplifted by the fact that we don't have to fight on our behalf. We don't have to use our words to defend ourselves. God has already done it. We don't have to use our words to affirm ourselves. God has already done it. God is already proving that he is our everything, why do we feel the need to prove ourselves? Number three, we need to minimize the noise. We need to minimize the noise. The constant chatter. I love the way Stephen Furtick put it. 
when he was preaching on the thirst trap. Some of you may have heard that sermon already. But he was talking to him and his wife went to a restaurant. And when they went to the restaurant, uh, a, a little waitress comes over. And, and how many guys know people, as soon as they sit down at the table, they can blow through like 16 cups of water in about five minutes. You know, the waitress is just like, they might as well bring a pitcher over. because right? I went with, with Justin the other day. <laughs> I remember, I think we went to Chili's or something. And dude had drank like 16 Diet Cokes before we even ordered our meal. I was like, this poor girl, we got glasses everywhere. Anyway, so, but how, how many guys know people that just drink way too much water, Diet Pepsi? We're not going to talk about what else, but just, they just, right? Like, man, so they, we were sitting there and, and uh, I, w- I was thinking of the story that Stephen Ferg was telling where him and his wife went to a restaurant. And as they were sitting there, uh, the waitress comes up and Stephen, Pastor Furtick had already drank like 16 cups of Diet Coke, he said. And so uh, his wife says, I'm sorry, he's a thirsty man. And the little waitress started laughing. And, and the, his wife said, why, why are you laughing? And she said, you don't know what thirsty means, do you? And she said, she looked at her like, you don't know what thirsty means, do you? <laughs> and uh, she said, no, like as young people, apparently the waitress was pretty young. She said, young people, like if there's a girl who's really after a guy and, and wants him like physically, she's thirsty. And if, there, if there's a guy who, who like really wants, to, wants a girl or multiple girls like, like physically, like he's a thirsty guy. And so she said, my, you got to excuse my husband. He's a thirsty man. So, so the, the, waitress, the waitress was laughing. Um, but Pastor Furtick used that as an illustration for us to recognize is that what we have to do in our life is we have to minimize the noise. We have to minimize the thirst because here's what happens. is because we don't understand, because we're not used to a quiet soul. We're not used to a quiet spirit. We're not used to quieting our mind. We're not used to quieting our inner man. We have surrounded and engulfed ourselves in platforms that is a constant news feed. Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook is this constant information feed that flows at us at a rate that we can't even control and we can't even keep up with. And what happens is when we get locked into the feed, when we get locked into the environment, we start to get committed to the idea that because everyone is available, everyone's availability means that their affirmation, the way they approve us, the way that they see us is very, very important. And we start to compare our behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel. So we start to think we're not good. Look look at that picture. So-and-so, they look so good. And we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see. And we start to doubt who we are. So we doubt our self-image. We doubt everything that God has called us to. We doubt our purpose. We doubt our fulfillment. We doubt the things that God has promised us 10 years ago that he hasn't fulfilled yet and we'll talk ourselves out of the promises that God has already spoken to us. And so what happens is we get on Facebook and we get on Instagram and we start seeing how everyone else is doing and because our life isn't going the way their life is going, we start to think that the noise has created an environment where we can't live the life and the purpose that God has called us to. And what we need to do is get the noise out of our life because people's opinion of you never dictates your value and words never create worth. The next feeling you're blank, the words never create worth. You think that you're going to get validation from someone on the other side of the screen. The problem is even if they say the best thing about you, you're still going to need them to say it again tomorrow. What you need to recognize is that God's words only can be the thing that bring worthiness and worth into your life. Your value is not dictated by what people think of you. Your value is dictated by what God has said you're worth. We find ourselves in a position where we're constantly scrolling, thinking everyone else's value is higher than ours. How do you determine value? You determine value by what someone's willing to pay for something. 
Come on, somebody. I said, you determine value by what someone's willing to pay for something. I don't care if you think your car is worth 80 grand. If I say it's only worth five and I'm the only one interested in buying it, then it's worth five. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But here's the beauty, folks. The beauty is this, is we have tried to create value and, and we have tried to estimate our value based on other people's opinions of us. And the reality is we base our value on what someone's willing to pay for us. Here's the beauty of the whole thing is someone has already paid for you. The Bible says he paid the highest price. The Bible said he already went to Calvary and paid with his life. God bought you at the price of his son's life. That means your value, your worth, everything that you are, has already been fully developed and established 2,000 years ago on a cross when someone said that I'll take Dan, I'll take Lee, I'll take Brad, I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you. When he went to the cross, he paid the price for you. And when he paid the price for you, he already created the value that you yourself haven't even figured out your worth yet. Jesus said, you're worth it, you're worth it, you're worth it, you're worth it. And if you'll stop paying attention to the noise, if you'll turn this off for five minutes and let yourself have a restful Spirit, come on, somebody. If that's you, I want you to get on your feet right now. I want you to put your hands together. Get on your feet right now. Put your hands together. Some of you in this house have been hearing the lies for too long. Listen to me. Stay standing for just a second. Some of you have been listening to the lies for too long that says you're not when you are. Some of you have been listening to the lies of the enemy in your mind for too long that said, because your mother was broke, you're gonna be broke. Because your family grew up in poverty, you're gonna grow up in poverty. Because so-and-so was this, you're gonna be that. You're never gonna have the value. You're never gonna have the worth. You've been buying into the lies. Some of you have been buying into it for decades. And God is saying, I'm ready to break the curse over your life. And I'm ready to start bringing something new into your lineage right now. But here's the trick, folks. You've got to minimize the noise. Because if you surround yourself with high volume, you can never hear true content. I said, if you surround yourself with high volume, you can never hear true content. I got people I follow on Twitter and I love everything they put out. The problem is I can never get to them because I got to scroll past a hundred different people to get to it. And some of us need to get some people out of our lives so that we can hear the real stuff and get past the fake stuff. Go ahead, sit down. Words never create worth. I'm going to go a step further. Words never create worthiness. Ladies, there's not a man's words out there that are going to make you more valuable than you already are. Fellas, there's nothing a girl can bring to a table that's going to make you more worthy than you already are in the eyes of God. We need to know that our worth and our worthiness is pre-established at the cross where Jesus paid it all for us. Number four, we're almost done. We need to recognize we can play the quiet game because Jesus did it. Because Jesus did it. You think you've got to defend yourself 
and you've got to establish your innocence, but you have to recognize that only Jesus can fight those battles. I love this quote from, this is a quote from my pastor. Look at that picture. Y'all see where I get it from. It says, the truth needs no defense. Some of y'all just need to grab a hold of that. You've been trying to defend yourself to you, but you've been trying to defend yourself to yourself. You've been trying to tell your own mind your worth and the truth. You don't have to convince yourself. You need to let God start bringing some rest into your spirit about what he's already done. And you need to stop trying to defend yourself to every accuser around you that is telling you you're not when you are. Someone tells you you're not something, you tell, they tell you you're not worth something, then just get them out of your life. You don't need that kind of negativity around you. Blame it on me. Tell him Pastor Brad said so. He said, I can't talk to you, so it is what it is. The truth needs no defense. Your real friends don't need an explanation and your enemies don't want one. Come on. How many of us are exhausting ourselves trying to prove our innocence to a group of people that even if we could prove it, they wouldn't listen? And how many of us are trying to convince our friends of our innocence when they're sitting there telling us they don't even care? They say, I don't care if you did it or not. I'm here for you. And we say, yeah, but you need to know. I didn't, they say, I don't care. I'm here for you. And then we say they try to defend ourselves to our enemies. And we can have video evidence of our innocence. And they're going, yeah, but you're still guilty. Because they don't want to believe your innocence. I say we start letting God fight those battles. Here's what Jesus did. They brought Jesus before the, the masses. And so they, they had captured him, they brought him before the masses and, and they stood before him and they said, crucify him. And even Pilate looked at Jesus. Scripture says that he told Jesus, he said, say something. He said, say something. If you, if you t- t- tell me you're not who they say you are or, or tell me who you are, but say something because if you tell me, if you give me something, then I can go back to them and I can tell them what you said. Say something. When you stand there, you got, you've got to say something. And Jesus, in the moment of accusation with complete innocence to his name, stood in complete silence of the accusation that was leveraged against him. Jesus was quiet when there was nothing but noise. Mark 4, 39 says, says that he got up. So this is separate portion of Jesus' story. Jesus is asleep on the boat and a storm hits the boat. And as the storm hits the boat, the disciples start freaking out. We're all going to die. It says, Jesus got up from his nap, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, say this with me, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And some of you guys have been fighting your battle and you've been exhausted by the idea that you can't seem to get anywhere. You can't get any traction and, and noise is surrounding you and the storms of life are blowing your boat over. And quite frankly, some of you don't even know if you're going to make it. 
And what you have to recognize is that the only solution, the only truth to this whole thing, the only way that you get to make it out, the only way that you get to survive, the only way that you get to make it through this storm that life has brought your way is that you need Jesus to step on the scene and say, quiet, be still. Because the quiet game isn't about a lack of words. It's about a restful spirit. And for some of you, you need some rest. Close your eyes with me today. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And if you're in this place, and you're saying, man, I've just been, I've been going, man. That, I've been fighting this fight. I've been fighting this battle. And quite frankly, I am exhausted. And, and man, it's, it's, it's like I, I can't seem to minimize the noise. I can't seem to quiet everything down. And, and, and I, I, need, I need God to, to step on the scene. I just want to pray for you right now. I'm not even going to ask you to lift your hands or anything. If that's you, I just want you to hear this prayer. And I, I want you to receive it in your spirit. God, I just pray over every person right now, Lord, that, that the noise has been allowed, that, that the chatter has been surrounding them. And that, Father, in their hearts, God, they need rest. So, God, I just pray right now that in their spirits, God, you start to whisper, quiet, be still. God, I pray you give us direction and wisdom and insight on those people who you would remove from our lives and the people that you would bring in. That quietness and stillness, Father, can reign in our lives. If you're in this room today, the beauty of the gospel is this. We just talked about Jesus. He was brought before Pilate and he was accused of a lot of things that weren't true. When they brought him to Pilate, ultimately it was the the plan that God had set before. And when he went to Pilate, the long and short of it is he, they they accuse him, find him guilty. They take him and they, they nail him to a cross. When he went to the cross, here's what it boils down to folks. The beauty of the gospel is this. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This isn't a church where we point fingers. This is a church where we welcome truth and grace. We've all sinned and fallen short. That means we've all messed up. I've blown it, you've blown it. We've all done that. The beauty of the gospel is also this, that for God so loved the world, John 3 says that he gave his only son, that if you would believe in him, you wouldn't die, you wouldn't perish, but you would have everlasting life, a spiritual life that is everlasting. And if you're here today and and maybe life hasn't been going the way you thought it should, or, or maybe things have gotten so bad that you've run out of options, or maybe life isn't that bad, but you recognize there's something that needs to change in your life. Jesus went to the cross. When he died on the cross, he died a perfect man. And when he died a perfect man, he, he actually bridged the gap between us and God because our sin separated us from God. And if you want to be united with Jesus today, if you wanna be saved, if you wanna give your life to him, if you wanna know that your eternity is gonna bring about heaven for you and that is your destination, if you wanna know that you are secured, if you wanna be saved today, you wanna give your life to Jesus. All you have to do today 
The Bible says that we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and we believe in our heart. It's not a list of checks boxes of do's and don'ts. It's about your faith and believing in Jesus Christ to be your savior. And if that's you today, you sit in this room and everyone's head is bowed and everyone's eyes are closed. And you say, pastor, that, that sounds like something I need in my life. You feel a tugging on your heart. Maybe God is doing something. You feel him pulling you. You say, pastor, I don't know all of this. I don't know all the details. I don't know all the rules but I know I need something different in my life and I need to give my life to Jesus today. I'm not gonna come to you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna point you out. I wanna pray for you today. And if that's you today, you say, Pastor, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I want to be saved. Would you just lift your hand up right now? Say, Pastor, I wanna give my life to Jesus. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Hands are going up all the way. Once you put it up, you can put it down. I told you, I'm not here to embarrass you. I wanna pray for you today. I wanna give my life to Jesus today, Pastor and I want to be saved. If you're watching us on uh, online, you can feel free to join us on this part as well. Here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna pray together. And if you raised your hand or you didn't, but you want to confess that Jesus is gonna be in control of your life, you're putting your faith in him, the whole church is gonna pray it with you. So you're not praying it by yourself. So church, let's pray this prayer with our brothers and sisters and declare out of our mouth what we've already believed in our heart. And that is that Jesus is Lord over our life. Let's pray together, say, dear Jesus, Forgive me, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my, my wrongs. Make me clean, make me pure, make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose three days later and that through your life and through your death and your resurrection, I can be saved. I believe in you and I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, put your hands together for all those that pray that. Man, perhaps for the very first time, we celebrate with you. Awesome, awesome, awesome.